don't you want to thank the worship team for leading us? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Drew and team. Well, good morning, church. Here we go. Fun topic we have today, talking about conflict and how to restore broken relationships. I think this applies to all of us, wouldn't you think? All right, this ought to be a, a good word for us. So let's, you can tell there by the, the um, slide up that we are in a series. It's a 12-part series called Who Are We? Who are we? We spent four weeks on who we are in relationship to God, vertical. Because if we don't get that straight, everything else breaks down. Now we're in the portion, this is the last talk in the portion on who are we in relationship to one another, and then next week, which is beautiful leading into the birth of our Savior, uh, who, we are, who we are to the world. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're the difference makers to the world. The world is dark, needs us to be bright. So for the last three weeks, we've been talking about, like, all right, how do we love one another? How do we serve one another? Last week, Brian spoke on how do we prefer one another? How do we put the interest of others before our own from Philippians chapter 2? And you would think, right, that in the church, if we did all those things, right, love and serve and prefer one another, that we wouldn't have conflict, right? I mean, I heard some chuckles over here. So the reality is, and we all know this, if you've been around church, you probably have been hurt, and you probably have hurt someone. I served as a pastor for many years, and I've had a lot of people to come to me and tell me about the hurt that I caused them. And then I've experienced a lot of hurt from other people. Hurting people hurt people. It's just a reality. It's just the nature of relationships that if, if we're going to be close to one another, someone said you can be like marbles or you can be like grapes. Marbles can kind of bump into each other, put them in a can, shake them up, roll them out, no damage. Grapes, you do that to some ripe grapes and put them in a can and shake them up, it's a mess. The church is more like that. Families like that, all that stuff you're about to do at Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's just messy. So this perfect timing for us to deal with this, not just of the past, but the present and the future. So here's what's going to go down today. And you've got a handout. By the way, they came up to me and said, we made 250 copies of this and we're out. So we, we have more of you than we thought. So if you do not have one, um, I don't think we have any extra copies now, do we? No, we don't. They're shaking their heads. So share with your neighbor. If two of you came and some, raise your hand if you don't have one, please. Would somebody make sure those people get one? We want you to pay attention. This is my way of making you take notes and pay attention. Here's some more up front. Again, raise your hand if you need one. Somebody in the very back, Jerry, behind you back there. All right, we're gonna, you've got to put your seatbelts on. We're about to go fast on some things. We have a lot to cover. You'll notice in the back of the handout, there's a whole section we're not even going to get to today. It's just practical pointers on what to do. How do you do this? But before we get to the how in God's word, we need to look at the why, the reason. Why is this so important to God? So let's go look at four foundational truths real quickly. Number one, God desires our oneness, our unity. He wants more than anything for us to be 
connected as one. So when anything disrupts that oneness, he wants us to take care of it immediately. Look at John 17, 14 through 21. This is Jesus in the high priestly prayer. This is like his longest prayer ever recorded, and it's happening the night before Judas betrays him, and we know what happens next. He's talking to his father. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, which means to make holy or to be set apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that would be us, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So he's saying, just as he is one with the Father, so he wants us to be one with him. And he even gives us the reason for that. So that, look at that last phrase, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He's basically saying that our number one way to witness to the world, to show the world that God is awesome and his church is beautiful, is that we do this right here really in a healthy way. And we, we don't do this as a church in a healthy way. It, it kind of mars God to the world. And we all know people that have been hurt by a church. It is in the top three reasons why someone stops going to church or moves to another church. So I'm assuming in this crowd there are people here that have been hurt in another church and you're here hoping it doesn't happen. You have good news, bad news. Glad you're here. Hope we can be a part of your healing. But you're going to get hurt here as well. So the issue is not are we going to hurt one another. and are, it, That's a reality. The truth is we need to learn how do we deal with it. What do we do when it happens? I had a brother come to me this morning in a loving way to say, in some conversation, I would said something that caused some pain with his wife. And he asked for a meeting with me in a very loving way to say, I just want to make sure we're clean, we're all good. And I said, will you come up on stage with me and preach today? I mean, it was beautiful. That's what we need more of. Second principle is this. God calls us to pursue peace and holiness. Those two words are key. Peace and holiness. By the way, the word holy, holiness, is the same as sanctification. To be sanctified means to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. The Bible is called the Holy Bible. It's not another book. It's the Holy Bible, the Word of God. The Sabbath is different. Same root word. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says, Pursue, which means intense effort, peace with all people, and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no, listen to this, no root of bitterness is springing up causing trouble. And by it that many get defiled. You see that? We're to be pursuing oneness connection with one another. And when it's frayed, 
we should be pursuing that to be corrected, just as the brother did this morning. Thirdly, God calls us to diligently preserve or protect our unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, I implore, which means beg, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance. Tolerance means not, not quick to judge. It means let some things slide. Don't major on the minors. Major on the majors. There's a lot of stuff we don't agree with. That's fine. You might not like the same music I like. I might like, not like the way you dress or the way you sing. Who cares? Do you know Jesus? Do you love him? You born again? Do you want to know him? Those are the stuff, that's the stuff that matters. Be diligent to preserve, watch over, guard, protect the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then lastly, God calls us to relate to others as he is relating to us. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you, just as Drew read in Lamentations, that the mercy that God has shown us, will you realize, I think I preached on this the last time I preached, that we, we were spiritually dead when we were born, and God had to make us alive. We're born in conflict with God, and God initiated by sending his son Jesus to come to the earth to rebuild or to restore, put right, the relationship that we have with him. God did that. We didn't. We responded to his grace, but God initiated that. And what he's saying here is, just as I have done that initiatory action to restore our relationship and show you mercy and grace and restoration now that I've poured that into you, now go out and do that with others. Now, what causes conflict? <laughs> we could, many of us could come to the stage and just start talking about it, really. James, though, I love it. Look, turn to James. I didn't print this for us, but look at James chapter 3 and 4. You've got to love James, the half-brother of our Lord. James is near the very back of the Bible. Um, and James just hits direct. Look at the way he starts in James chapter 4, verse 1. Just poses it as a question, answers it directly. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not, I just hear sarcasm in that, is it not the, the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members? Meaning, is it not the stuff in you that's wanting what you want, this kind of waging war, like you know you should do something, but you've got this battle on the inside saying, no, I don't want, I, do, I want this, I'm not doing that, I want this. You lust, you do not have, so you commit murder. There's a lot of ways to commit murder, by the way, it doesn't mean just murder, Physically, it means you murder people with your words. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. You, don't, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. <laughs> so, if you want to fill in the notes there, write pride, selfishness, lust, envy, and impure motives. That's straight from... Jesus' brother's lips. And then, roll up to chapter 3. He's written a whole section on the tongue. Fiery evil that's uncontrollable. Let me read a section from 3, 5 through 10. 
The tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. We all know this. may have happened on the way to church to somebody this morning or last night. The tongue is a fire, is, is a fire the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, parts of our body, as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. That'll grab you. That'll make you hold your tongue when you think that the devil can get a hold of that little member and rip your family apart and rip a church apart. Every species of beast and birds, reptile, creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of men. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. So add the tongue, words, to that list of what causes conflict. Now, a little fun section. Maybe you've already been elbowing each other on trying to figure out whose style is what in regards to how you deal with conflict. There are a variety of ways. So it all fits in with our personalities. We'll talk about the biblical way at the end, but here's some other ways we tend to deal with conflict. You figure out where you fall, and you may be a little hybrid of some of these. The Eskimo, kind of made these names up. The Eskimo is that person... I won't ask for a raise of hands on this one, but a lot of men are like this. It kind of frees them out. They get hurt, and they just go ice cold. They're boiling on the inside. And when you say, you okay? I'm fine. They ain't fine. They hurt. They're just sending you that Eskimo cold. There's no warmth coming out of that person. They, you feel it in the house. You feel it in a relationship. It's just cold. The cowboy, this was my mom, by the way, she, she reacted by firing verbal bullets. Just like, you hurt me, I hurt you. you. Kind of react. If you have a reactive personality, you might have a little bit of that style. The escape artist, this would be my dad, by the way. Um, God love them in heaven, I know they're laughing. Uh, he would avoid conflict. You know, when conflict happens, you just find a way to get out of the room. I don't want to be around this. So dad would just go to the lake. He'd just disappear. Mom's still firing bullets. <laughs> Snapping turtle. That'd be me. I got my brother in here. I got everybody. Uh, the snapping turtle, this is the, sadly to say, this is the person when they get hurt, because they've been hurt before, they suck into a hard shell because they don't want to get hurt again. But the first opportunity we get, our little neck will come out and bite you on the ankle. <laughs> a little bit of passive-aggressive, I admit. You act fine in the moment, but you're not fine. You haven't worked through it. And because you haven't worked through it, you're hurting people hurt people, and it's going to come out later. Then you got the boxer. This is the aggressive person. This was my son. When he would get angry, we had a boxing bag hanging from the rafters down in the garage, you know. And we could hear the house shaking. We knew he was upset. It's got to hit something. It's going to come out. It could come out with words. And I just want to say a word, knowing that this touches on some emotional and physical abuse in this room. That if that's happening in your home, 
Men, if that's you, I pray right now you feel the conviction of God to stop and get help. And to the spouse, the person being abused, if you need help and you're afraid, I pray that God will lead you to come to one of us on this staff or someone that you know and trust to just tell them so that something can start being done about that issue. Next is the sponger. These are often people pleasers. They blame themselves. I'm sure conflict's happening. I'm sorry. I know I didn't prepare a good meal. I know I didn't do this. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. Kind of take, we have a lot of those in the church. Grace, it's kind of in the name of grace. And then we have the biblical way. Good news. Look at Ephesians. It's confront in love with a goal of reconciliation. That's the biblical way. It's to confront in love. Both of those are important. With the goal of reconciliation. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 says from Paul, as a result, he's talking about how to be mature in the church. He's done a whole section here saying, I've given you leaders and everything you need to grow up in your faith. Stop being a baby. He says, literally, he says, stop being an infant and grow up. And he says, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. John Stott, famous Anglican pastor and theologian and pastor of All Souls Church in London, England for many years, he said this, I love this phrase, truth without love is too hard and love without truth is too soft. We can go in one of two directions. Too hard is like shaking up a, a beer can or a bottle can and popping it on somebody. There's no love, it's just reaction and spewing out on somebody. Too soft is when we, often in the church, avoid telling the truth and we're doing it kind of in the name of love. Like we're doing the loving, graceful, merciful thing. To not confront. Listen to what David Alsberger, an author who wrote Caring Enough to Confront, he says, avoiding honest statements of real feelings and viewpoints is a kind of benevolent lying. I think if you're not being honest, you're lying. So the consequences of this, of withholding the truth, is that, I mean, every day you don't, the lake, the molehill turns into a mountain, the relationship deteriorates, and eventually that dysfunction spread to other people. Just what happens. That's when it has to get nipped in the bud or dealt with interpersonally all among us so it doesn't spread into something, something more. Now, the good news is that the Bible gives us three practical areas that God speaks into. What do you do when you've hurt another person? What do you do when you've been hurt by another person? And what do you do when someone refuses to reconcile? That's where we're going right now. So what do you do when, you've been, when you have been the one to offend another person? Look at Matthew 5, 23, 24. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, think about it, Jesus. He's just done the Beatitudes, the salt of the world, light of the earth. Just done all that, and he's rolling into some sections, giving practical application in some relational areas. And this is big. He says in the midst of that teaching, 
that if you're presenting your offering at the altar, that would be like if you're having worship, you're joining with other people for worship, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Therefore, that means you've hurt your brother. But God's now brought it to your mind, and I'm praying right now that God's doing this, and we're going to have a reflection time at the end where you have an opportunity to, in your mind, make a decision of what you're going to do with this. So think of someone that you may have hurt. There you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering before the altar. Go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and present your offering. How cool is that? That would empty our churches. I mean, at least for a season, but then when we come back together, we're like, one. Right? How cool would that be, really? This is the design. This is from Jesus. What do you think he's saying, leave? I mean, you think he'd say, just let's finish our thing, get all filled up, and then go. No, no, no. He's saying that because you can't relationally connect with God well when you have conflict. Believe me, I love to have like morning time. I've got this little journal thing I do and all. I can't tell you, my wife sitting here on the front row could validate this. So many times where we've had a conflict in my mind and really outwardly, I've made her feel like it's her fault. I feel good. I'm going to go meet with God. I get alone with God, he goes like blank on me. I'm like trying to connect, I'm using music, oh, kumbaya, all of that. Nothing. I'm like, what are you, and I, I write, so I'm like, what are you saying? What? Why are you void? He says, you know. That's all I need to hear is, you go make that right and then come back. She knows so well that when we get in conflict, if I don't clean it up and I go get alone with God, I'll be right back. You want to have a sensitive spirit to God so that God prompts you. This all needs to be directed by God, not you. And then when God prompts you, go, clean it up, come back. It's all good with God and with you and with your brother. The word reconcile, by the way, means to, um, it means to put back together. It means to go through a process that leads to change. It's like, uh, you ever torn a ligament? I got a buddy down here. <laughs> He's been with me when I've torn my calf muscle on a, on a racquetball court. And when you tear a ligament or muscle, uh, a couple things have to happen. One, you need surgery typically to put it back together. And then you need a whole lot of painful physical therapy that nobody likes. You ever heard of Tommy John surgery? It's a thing in baseball, it's an elbow surgery named after this guy that first had the surgery. And the, the truth of the matter is, I looked this up, that they can, a pitcher can tear that muscle. They can't pitch at all. They can go through the surgery and then the physical therapy, and they can pitch faster after the surgery. Now, that's good news. That means that you can do this, and your relationships will come out stronger, not worse. That's encouraging to me. And I know, and you know, right, the people that you've been in the trenches with, the people that you've graped up with and gotten all messy with, those are your closest friends. And you've hurt them, and they've hurt you, but they love you enough, they talk to you, and you love them enough that 
You talk to them, and you come out stronger than ever. I want to thank Drew for that analogy, by the way. That was great. He's the one that gave me the uh, Tommy John UCL surgery analogy. All right, let's look at what to do when we've been offended. Raise the hands, maybe, on if you've been offended. No, you don't have to do that. This is a big deal right here. Again, because I said hurting people hurt people. And when we hurt, we do irrational things. I've listed two. These are what not to do. Don't retaliate. We retaliate and we gossip. So what not to do, don't retaliate, don't gossip. Retaliate. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, if possible so far as it depends on you, it be, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And what he's saying there with that kind of odd heap burning coals, it's almost like our way of saying, if you do it right, you'll melt their heart. By doing the good, the opposite of what they're expecting from you, they're expecting retaliation, and they, they got their warrior clothes on, and they're waiting to box you in the nose as soon as you say something. And if you come at it with forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, number one, you're looking a whole lot like Jesus. And number two, it melts her heart. They don't know how to react. So don't retaliate. Secondly, don't gossip. Don't gossip. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A contrary person spreads conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. We've all had that happen. It's terrible. Can I give you a tip on what to do when someone's gossiping? I learned this from a friend. If somebody comes to you, I'm looking at Jason, if somebody comes and says uh, something to me about Jason, and they're starting to bring up his name, can you believe Jason? I do this. He used to do this. It's kind of a full stop sign. Now I just kind of like gradually hold my hand about right here, and I say, hey, have you, talked to Jay, have you talked to Jason? It's called a redirect, meaning don't talk to me anymore until you've talked to Jason. And by the way, let me know when you've done that. How cool would that be in the church that if we all did that for one another? When somebody's coming to say, have you heard? You just redirect them to go, go talk to them. I'll go with you if you'd like. That's fighting for unity of the bond of spirit. That's fighting for peace. That's protecting the oneness that God wants us to have. Now, what to do? Matthew 18. If your brother sin, now let me just say here that the context of this deals with sin. Now, now some of the times you'll be in conflict with people. It's not sin. It's just a misunderstanding. But I think the principles Jesus is teaching here applies. But specifically, this is talking about how to protect holiness within the church and root sin out of the church. But I think it still applies. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
If he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be, you as, to, be to you as a Gentile or tax gatherer, which was people far outside of the church. So the steps are simple. Go immediately. Go privately. And, and I just want to say here, unless it's safe to go, unsafe to go alone. I was speaking to someone recently and they said, what do you do here? And it was an unsafe situation. I understand there's some one-offs here that are, have to be dealt with in a different way. Maybe it needs to involve a counselor right away, not you going privately. Go privately. I would say here, not even ask another person to pray for you. Because again, in prayer, you know how we can gossip in prayer? Oh, let's pick on Jason again. Oh, God, let's all pray for Jason. You know, all the stuff he's going through. and We can gossip that way. Don't do that. Just go to your brother. Go to your sister. Number two, take one or two more believers with you. Kind of a third person just to validate. Someone that they trust as well. And thirdly, that doesn't work. You see how these are elevating? Take it to the church leadership. Get the leadership of the church involved to bring even more wisdom on the situation and know how to handle it. So it doesn't bring about division in the church. And fourthly, stop trying to reconcile. You don't have to do it forever and ever. And the last point I'm going to share, last section on what do you do when someone refuses to reconcile, you'll gather some more practical tips on what to do in this section. So let's turn there. What if someone refuses to reconcile? Romans 12, 18 Verse we've already read, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. First point, be confident that you have done your part. You understand? As far as it is up to you, be at peace. I have people that are probably not at peace with me that I don't know about. But I've done everything I can, as far as I know, to be at peace with them. I've sought to restore and reconcile but they've not chosen to complete the process, and I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible to do my part, obey God, and leave the results to Him. He could be working on that person in other ways, but i got to do my part and obey what God's calling me to do. Secondly, Luke 6, 27, 28 says, I say to you here, I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse abusive to you. Now, again, Jesus is saying this in the context of enemies, like a Roman centurion that had them do hard things, and God's saying, turn the other cheek. This is that section of the Bible. But the principle very much still applies here. He's saying, do good, bless, and pray. Because I'm telling you, you do these things, back to what he's, the Romans passage was saying earlier, if you're doing good, carrying water to a thirsty person, and you're doing that act of kindness, bless means to speak well, in this context, speak well of. It's the opposite of gossip. Gossip is talking neg- negatively about. Blessing is blessing. So when someone else brings up the name of somebody, kind of drags them through the mud, you be the blessor. You be the person that says, well, you know, I find him to be this, or it's really very positive. And if they've got issues, they need, you can redirect them to go get that straight. And pray, I mean, come on. Anyone right now that you're thinking of 
you're harboring hurt or you know something's going on, if you just started praying for that person, and I, I don't mean pray that like God will get them. You're like, God, I can't get to them now because of this sermon. But see, you get them. You said vengeance is mine, so I'm sicking you on them. No, 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 no. You pray for them, not about them. You pray for them. You pray for their well-being. You pray for their family. You pray for whatever they're involved in. You pray for blessings. You pray for God to use it. Don't get hung up in your hurt and not be able to pray for the blessings of God over something that you're bothered about because you haven't done your part to make it right. So be confident you've done your part. Don't let the rupture in the relationship be on you. I've been telling you, that's a big point. You don't want to get to heaven and not have done your part in the process. And then do good, bless, pray for. Lastly, you may have to agree to disagree. And that's okay. A lot of times we just have to agree to disagree. We don't see this the same way. I love the quote, we can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. We don't have to look at everything just alike, but we can still be unified. All right. As the worship team comes, we are going to have a little time of reflection. We're going to normally have like a corporate prayer, but we're going to incorporate this corporate prayer time into this prayer. And I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and I'm going to guide us through some questions that are going to cause you to reflect. And let's pray and trust God and His Spirit to guide all of us right now. Would you join me in prayer? Father, first we just want to thank you for who you are and thank you for the reconciliation that you have done in our lives that have brought us into relationship with you. We want to start with a prayer of confession that says, um, I want to say, I'm sorry for any person I've ever hurt, some I may not even know about. I pray, I, I pray God, we confess all of us confess anything we've done or been a part of that has brought shame or hurt or just marred the image of the body of Christ in any way. And God, we want to be representatives of yours to go do this the right way, to be different from those that are not in the body of Christ. We want to be different than the world in order to make a difference. We don't want to look just like the world. We don't want to deal with conflict. They get in conflict and divorce day in, day out. They break up friendships and just move on. Not us, God. Not us. We're your church. So would you now, God, move in our hearts as we just consider these questions and bring to mind actions that you want us to take. First, it's just a question, am, am I right with God? Am I right with you? Am I here today and I'm still outside the family of God? I've not been reconciled. I'm not, I'm not in a right relationship with God. So ask yourself, are you, in, are you right with God? Vertically, are you right with God? Is He right with you? If not, what, what step do you need to take today? And if you don't know, you come talk to me. 
or a friend afterwards, don't go away without knowing. Is your way of dealing with conflict one of those Eskimo snapping turtle analogies or is it God's way? Are you resolving conflict and restoring relationships God's way? If not, what's the action you need to take? How do you need to change? Just make a commitment to change. Who is God placing on your mind right now or has been throughout the last 30 minutes? Who is it that you need to go have a conversation with? Maybe it's someone that you've offended. Maybe it's someone that's offended you. Maybe it's someone in this church. Maybe they're not in this church. Maybe they were in this church. Maybe it's a previous church. I don't know. I'm trusting God to bring that to mind and for you to be led by Him to do your part. And just tell God right now, you're willing to obey Him, His prompt, His lead, and you will leave the results up to Him. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your justice, your word, the power of your word. I pray that you've penetrated our hearts today. You've instructed us. I pray that we walk away not only knowing why we do this, to protect your name and the bride of Christ and the unity, preserve peace and holiness, but we also know how to do it. Move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.